if you can get in and start to fix processes, um, you get these big wins. And so one of the things that I did is I just love to get in the weeds, start at the bottom and find out what everyone's you know, biggest problems are. Go out to an office and figure out what a sales rep's biggest problem is. Figure out what your customer support or your customer experience's biggest problems are. Um, and then I would, so I would spend a lot of time in the trenches with the weeds with those people um, and then start chipping away at their, you know, their biggest problems. Getting small wins to fix big processes was super key um, for me. This episode of the Rep's Journey podcast features Lacey Anderson, the Senior Vice President of Sales Operations at Ion Solar. The Rep's Journey podcast exists to help you recruit, train, and retain your reps. All right, I am here with Lacey Anderson. Lacey is now the Senior uh, SVP of Sales Operations for Ion. And I wanted to have Lacey on because like her just incredible background in sales ops, right? So she's been a director, she's been, uh, excuse me, a manager, then a director, then a VP of sales, then a se now senior uh, VP of sales operations for uh, two different companies, right? So uh, Ion Solar, Lumio, um, Aptive, 10 years at Vivint, experience with, with uh, chief revenue officer. So she has just a huge background. And uh, I, I'm always harping on the need uh, for companies to think about the whole rep journey, like the whole experience. Um, not just, you know, the individual pieces and who better to talk to than someone that knows how to scale all of the, the facets of recruiting, onboarding, training, uh, and retaining reps, um, as a whole, like as a whole single motion, uh, than someone with, with your level of experience. So, um, let's Thanks start for with, having me. Yeah. I'm so glad you're here. Uh, so let's start with this. Why sales ops? Like, why have you devoted a large portion of your adulthood <laughs> to, um, to doing this? Great question. Um, it's been a very strategic decision in my career. Obviously there were times when people were like, get into procurement or get into, you know, operations, but I have really loved sales operations. Um, this role is so key to any sales organization. Um, it's really the bridge between sales and that operations side. And sales really needs a good sales operations department in order to function properly. And so I loved it because I got to be involved in so many aspects of the business because of that unique role. You were working so close with finance. You were working so close with operations, with warehouse and field. Um, and so for me, it was fun because I got to interact with the whole company and kind of be this glue that kept the sales force going. Um, and it was exciting for me. The glue. I, I love the idea of, yeah, the concept of glue. Um, you, so, so would you agree that it really touches every aspect of what every, every department that a rep has to touch to be successful, you have to integrate with or, or talk to? Um, I saw 100%. Yeah, I saw in your profile, you know, just talking about talking with the housing department, talking with the asset department, you know, working with working with with recruit, like every single group um, you have to, to work with. Um, one, yeah. And I think like yeah, keep going. Uh, some of that, just like a note on that is like, yeah, I, I'm talking to developers about our apps all yeah. the way to project managers, IT. Um, I cover it all. And so it's really fun to interact with all of the various people that come with the company. Um, and I get to learn so much. I absorb so much knowledge because of all the paths I cross. And our audience knows this, right? But it's especially um, strong. It's not, oh, this is just this is just one way 
you know, we sell, um, it's, it's sales operations for a direct to home company is the, like the lifeblood of, of, of the company. Right. Um, so it's especially important that it, they get it right. Okay. So in your profile, you had uh, a lot of experience with, uh, being working directly with the chief revenue officer. And I thought that was really unique. This is way, you know, way back. And, uh, I think that's a, sounds like a huge advantage, um, to have being able to speak that language and to understand what they care about. Uh, could you, could you tell me more about, about your experience working with, with the CRO? Yeah, at both, uh, both Vivint and Aptiv, I had the awesome opportunity to work super close um, and right alongside the chief revenue officer and um, chief, you know, the CEO. And so it was a really fun time to like, you know, sit in their executive meetings and hear, you know, what, what the business was needing to do. And um, I learned a lot. You obviously understand what they're like, what are their driving factors? What are they trying to push? What initiatives um, do they need to like move to get, get the revenue that they need? And so um, for me, that was an awesome growth opportunity. It really fast-tracked my career to helping me understand, you know, how what the business needs in order to function and how I can best help it get to where it needs to go. Um, and it kind of always came back to, you know, the sales org is the blood of, of any business. And so we have to make sure we are giving them an awesome experience. We are taking care of them, um, by, but also still servicing the rest of your business, right? Your field ops, your operations, your warehouse people. So um, it was a good insight as to, you know, what C-levels need to have their business function right. How would you say that having the experience with a CRO has helped you um, not sell, but position projects, uh, anchor, you know, anchor the value that leadership wants um, to create in a project? How, how did that make, did that help you think? Maybe it's like, I don't know, because I've been, you know, I, I did it so long and I just remember, but I, I got to imagine that someone that doesn't have that, that, that contact doesn't quite always understand um, what's in the mind of leadership around whatever, you know, initiative is going is, is that like, say a region wants or a division of the company wants, and they can think about it a little bit differently. For me, it was, I was always kind of in the weeds and in the trenches, but then it was kind of nice to come up and see like the big love, big picture, right? The 40,000 level view of like, what's happening um, and then kind of returning back and getting in the weeds and figuring out, okay, here's the stuff they're encountering. Um, but understanding that high level vision and bigger picture was always super helpful to, you know, understand the needs of the business. And um, obviously like from a chief revenue perspective, he's got one goal on his mind, bring revenue yeah, um, yeah. and retain his, you know, retain his sales reps and build and grow. And so it was really, fun to, to see, you know, how he had to be strategic in decisions and um, finance, you know, even financial decisions based off of that. And so it was fun to watch them, you know, figure out how to grow their business. Yeah. So you, you um, your, your trajectory, right? You're, you're different. Uh, it was really cool because you had a good tenure at each role, like, like, your time with your CRO and then, and then a man, you know, a, a manager and then a director all the way up. What, um, what would advice would you give people that were say at the like sales ops manager role right now? Um, they're, they're in the manager, you know, space and they want to, 
level up, what what could you tell them that like what clicked in your mind maybe um, when you're going from maybe a manager to being a VP and and the things that that you the ways you changed the way you thought or you think to get there for sure. Um, so I love fixing broken processes, and I think that's a skill that everybody should if they're going to run sales ops should should you know hone in and really get awesome at it because um, if you can get in and start to fix processes, um, you get these big wins. And so one of the things that I did is I just love to get in the weeds, start at the bottom and find out what everyone's you know biggest problems are. Go out to an office and figure out what a sales rep's biggest problem is. Figure out what your customer support or your customer experience's biggest problems are. Um, and then I would, so I would spend a lot of time in the trenches at the weeds with those people um, and then start chipping away at their, you know, their biggest problems. Getting small wins to fix big processes was super key um, for me. And I think that was the time when I kind of started to level up as a manager of like, okay, I know how to find a problem and and like turn it around and fix the and get a good solution out to the to the org um, to benefit everybody. And so I wasn't just focusing on just sales and just sales ops. I was focusing on okay, what's finance's biggest problem? What's mm. the biggest hiccup that you know the warehouse has with sales? Or you know, and so solving for those problems across the company kind of made it super valuable and leveled me up. I think from that you know manager to director role you mentioned problems a few times and it's like he who owns the problems and can define them the best knows where to go. Right. And so it's like, like what you said, getting out of the building and going, talking to the individual reps and understanding their viewpoint and then going to talk to, and then going to talk to the various departments. And if you can define the problems really well and articulate the problems, that's the base. Would you agree that that's like kind of like the, the basis, the starting point, um, yeah. Before you even talk about the ultimate goal, I would think is like here are the here are the challenges. Um, how do you how do you convey those challenges in a way that isn't, isn't gritty, like or grading, or how do you how do you present problems in a way uh, you know the right timing? Basically, how do you not yeah. make uh, how do you not how do you make friends versus making enemies by highlighting problems? I think you know getting in and kind of having that mentality of seeking to understand before you're like, Hey, that's terrible. Um, really just understanding what the current state is and feeling for them and having, you know, empathy of like, Oh, okay. I, I, I get it now. Let me possibly give you a solution of how, you know, we could better that or improve that. Um, I think obviously people always want improvement. And I think taking that challenge on head on, like, instead of running from all the problems and being like, okay, they're all over there. I'm going to focus over here on some good. I address the problems because I think people appreciate you overcoming those obstacles. Um, so kind of like you said, instead of running from, you know, all the bad, you take it on, own it and make it better. And I think over time you kind of gain that respect and that um, kind of clouded, like, okay, she's going to make it better. Like I trust that, you know, it might yeah. be bad right now, but she is going to, and so let me ask you an approach on a problem, right? So let's say you have a problem, um, you know, just, I'll just throw out one, like reps aren't getting enough referrals. You know, I don't know. I'll just throw out something like that. Um, if, if that was, if that was a problem, would your, 
the way you attack that problem would be, I'm going to solve it well at just one level, um, at the rep level, and then rinse, repeat, you know, at each department. Or would you do a thing of going, I'm going to go find out the problem, you know, for this context, I'm going to go find out ev what everybody believes or remarks about this process all the way through the different, you know, different groups. What's the incentives, you know, what's the rep, you know, rep situation. Um, what is the reps training on it? You know, like all that stuff. Um, would you say that those are the differences between say like a sales ops manager and a VP of sales? The, the one sales ops manager is going to do it at just like one level at a time. And a VP of yep. sales is going to, or sales ops is going to go and talk to everyone and do it at like a more holistic approach to it. Yeah, for sure. And I would say that, yeah, I mean, I'm, my biggest priority is taking care of all the other departments. Um, and, and really getting all of their feedback and fixing it once um, versus, you know, managers watch, just want to fix it for my team or whoever's going to benefit from that, that they encounter the most. And I'm, you know, thinking of a way bigger level, um, kind of like a C-level, you know, let's solve it for everyone and not just one department. What would you say to somebody that's like sales ops manager right now, who's fighting for that time to not be in a reactive state where they're just taking, you know, taking on um, requirements and fulfilling them um, and getting a little bit of time to do the, get out the building and go research and go do that time. What would you, um, how would you help them position themselves in a way that, that to get that time from their direct, direct reports? Because this is a common thing I see, especially with, you know, with, when we're working with customers, it's just the, getting enough time to sell what it could be, like what yeah. the thing could be, because they're working through all of the the current requirements that have been put on them. I once had a, a CEO tell me like, you know, if, if you're interested in a meeting that's happening, but maybe you're not invited, don't ever hesitate to ask to be invited. Now, of course, there's going to always be those scenarios where there, you know, some confidential and maybe yeah. some things discussed, but if you can identify meetings that are happening that you're like, mm -hmm. oh, I would love to learn more about the business and grow, ask for a seat at that table. Um, and don't be afraid to ask for a seat at that table because that's how you're going to grow. That's how you're going to develop yourself. That's how you're going to, you know, push the bounds of your current role. Um, and so I, I took that advice um, and it was hard. Don't get me wrong. Uh, that first time that you asked to join a meeting that, you know, you are automatically invited to, it, it can be daunting. It can be hard. But I learned that it like really did propel my career. Um, do not be afraid to ask for a seat at the table if you aren't, you know. And of course, you have to have some tact with that. But um, find those areas where it's like, hey, I would love to learn a little bit more about this department. I'm not in the meeting, but can I come listen you know, see what's going on. And then you're just going to continue to learn and grow and develop the more you kind of get involved with all the aspects of the business. Um, and so that's kind of the biggest advice I'd give to somebody is, you know, recognize that there's meetings happening and sometimes it's okay to ask to be a part of them. Such good advice. Uh, it's sometimes it's a little bit of like self-confidence, self-worth, like can't, can I be in there? And I would say, you know, as a business owner, you know, man, I would love that. Like, I would love if people wanted to learn about it and I get to share more of the baby, you know, to them, you know what I mean? And, and tell them how yeah. things work. There, there's no offense to me at all if they want to spend more time learning about the company. I, you also talked about um, getting around the, you know, the building, not getting out and, and talking and learning a little bit about different, different 
parts of the business that don't seem immediately connected to a sales rep, but are totally connected. Um, can you talk a little bit more about that with regards to just um, the benefit of really getting kind of just, even if it's just a gist of, of the different departments, like how, what that can lead to. So one of my favorite things to do when I start um, at a new company is to just, and it, it's hard because, you know, you, you hit kind of hit the ground running, but I like to spend an hour in a, in a different department every single day and just kind of really sit down with boots on ground people and say, okay, walk me through what you do. Walk me through your processes, walk me through what it looks like. Um, and sometimes when, you know, CEOs or CROs are like, why are you doing that? Nobody knows better, like what's going on in your business than kind of those grunt workers, the people that are yeah. answering <laughs> calls. And so I love to kind of really dig in from the bottom up oh. when I am trying to fix problems. And so start at the bottom, find out all of the stuff. And then when you get to the top, say, okay, big picture, here's what needs to happen to, you know, to get resolved or here's what little things we can do to make these experiences better. Um, and then start chipping away at them. Uh, that's really fun for me. And so I think that's good advice for anybody of, you know, when you pass somebody in the hall know what they do, know kind of their processes and, and how can you help make them better? Yeah. And you're creating advocates at the same time, right? Relationships and advocates. So when you do yeah. come to them and want movement, you know, there's, there's already a relationship there. Um, the, what you said about the ability to go from the bottom up and you start to kind of hear the resonance of what everybody's saying. They say it in different ways, mm -hmm. but they're all saying the same thing, but just in, but in their context, it's the same problem, but it's all masqueraded yeah. around like, this is what the rep wants. This is what the recruiter wanted. You know, this is, and then it's the same thing. And so it's just kind of like getting the first principles of it. Right. Of yeah. like what, what that thing is, what, um, how do you demonstrate contribution in a tangible way? So there is the, there's getting the win. There's being at, the, you know, being, having a seat at the table. Do you think that what's your approach to that? Hey, if I have a win and I finish a, a complete a system and it works and it gets better, that's all that's needed. People will see my contribution. Um, I will rise through the ranks. Um, or is there, is there not gamesmanship, but are some things that you can do to kind of like take something that's an intangible win and kind of make it feel more tangible for people? Yeah, um, I think that there's always a, a way to go about that. Um, I think that anytime I'm fixing a process, any but anytime that anybody's been involved, when it kind of gets over the finish line, I always love to do like a recap of here's what happened and and give those shout outs to all those that helped you. Because, yeah, it's not a one man effort. Um, and so really making sure that you're including those people that helped get that mm. process fixed or, and and highlighting that and telling everybody, because as you build up people be below you, you're building yourself up. Yeah. Um, and so I love to, to really give credit where credit's due. Um, I might be, you know, the person driving the car, but I'm not the, you know, I'm not all the, the wills and the things that making it go. And so, yeah. um, the other thing I really love is, um, sometimes it doesn't have to be tangible, uh, you know, you can silently go behind the scenes and just be grateful for what you did. Um, it'll come back around for you if you just be patient. Um, mm -hmm. And then the last thing I kind of want to say about this is just never be afraid to get in the weeds again, even at my level. So um, I still to this day will hop on phone calls and take phone calls from reps. Um, I will hop in our, you know, chats and 
clear tickets for sales reps. Um, I think that's part of how I do that is keeping my team knowing that like, I'm not asking them to do anything that I wouldn't do. Um, make sure you're willing to get in the weeds. If you're running an event, make sure you're the first one there and the last one um, leaving as a VP. And so that's kind of been my motto of like, if I'm going to ask my team and employees to do something, I better be willing to do the exact same thing. So I'm not opposed to taking phone calls awesome. at 11 o'clock at night. So, so I think good. that really helped. Yeah. I mean, that's a really good culture that you develop with all of your people. You know, if you, if, if they can see that demonstrated culture is what you do, not what you say. Right. Uh, right. And that's really, really cool. Um, I feel bad for even bringing it up, but like the, the whole point was like uh, that, that I just see sometimes, okay, I'll give you an example. So, so no one really owns the numbers, let's say in their funnel, like they're like how many they're recruiting on onboarding and training. It's not been, you know, cast out on from high, like these are the numbers we want to hit and the conversions we want. And so I'm always promoting like somebody own that, like somebody just own that. What was it last year? Even if you don't have the right numbers, go find the numbers and say, here are the numbers, you know, here are the numbers that we had last year. And I would like to move the numbers here, you know, to this many people onboarded or this many people that had their first sale or the time to first sale reduced by four days or 10 days or whatever, something like that. Um, and just say someone go own that. Like that's the thing I was talking about with regards to contribution. Um, do you, at what point do you feel like in your career, you kind of started tack, like started owning those, owning those and saying, I'm going to, I'm going to own the outcomes, um, of these, of these numbers and, uh, work with team, team members to really like, drive to a specific, you know, KPI or number. Do you think that's ever the role of a, a sales operations to do that? And, or is that a CRO's role to, to set those numbers? I think both. I think they go hand in hand. I, um, I learned really early on with working with the chief revenue officer that I needed to go make, you know, data decisions, go pull data and give it to him and say, Hey, I, we need you know, rooms of improvement here, or this is, this is a weird stat. Why, you know, why do you think this is happening and counsel with him? But I definitely, you know, loved to own that pre forecasting pre saying, Hey, we're, we're going to have a dip here. We probably need to do something. We need to get proactive with an incentive. What are your thoughts about this? Um, and really, I just owned that and picked that up um, early on in my career. And I think I got that kind of, you know, I started as an EA. I don't know if that's been, you know, kind of clear, yeah. but I started an executive assistant and really understanding like what they, a C-level needed to, you know, execute on some decisions. Um, I learned early on that, you know, I needed data and I needed to back it with, Hey, this isn't just a feeling. This isn't the thought. Mm -hmm. This isn't something I've noticed, like here's some data to back it up. Um, and so I really feel like that's a key part of a business is, is pulling data, looking at data, and then, um, making decisions based off of that data and having, um, having that there to help those drive those decisions. But I can see how they have, they go hand in hand. So the person that's just the crystal baller that just looks at data and never does anything, doesn't want to go talk to the reps and is always promoting, like, it could be this, you know, if we just, you know, did these, like they're only crystal balling, but they are not showing that they can be the person that goes and um, gets their hands dirty, then they lose a little bit of that respect, right? Like if they're just that person. Um, so it kind of goes both, I guess, right? They have to go together. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So uh, stakeholder puzzle. So uh, I, I put down here just two words, stakeholder puzzle. 
Um, I've seen often in this industry, wildly different uh, stakeholder groups. Okay. So you've got, you've got non-corporate, never been corporate, you know, direct home, direct to home, direct to sales reps, um, guys that were direct to home or and gals that were direct to home sales reps that became, you know, massive leaders in the, and partners in the company that have, they just, just care about their group. Like they don't, they just want their group to do really well. Um, and, you know, they're, I mean, they want the company to do well, but you know what I mean? Like they're really focused on that. Yeah. They're maniacal about that. Uh, and then you've got like IT who's, who's really focused on um, process, right? Process and, and, and the, you know, this is not in that sprint, you know, we got to, we got to do it, you know, in a certain way. And then you've got coordinating with training and onboarding support teams. So um, yes, you go out in the field, you talk to everybody, but what are some tips that you can give for working with these different types of stakeholders? How can you help brass reps and, and, man, and managers understand the process that IT is going through? And how can you help IT understand more about this world of direct sales that moves a little faster than they might be used to if they were in a corporate environment before? For sure. I've actually experienced this a lot. You know, you get these developers that they're like, no, we we work out of sprints and you don't tell us what, you know. And um, so I think being kind of a, having a good project manager with whatever project you're doing, it helps. Um, but I think communication is the biggest thing. Um, so many days people are afraid of group messages and, you know, including more people on a chat that maybe don't need to be. But um, I always believe in more is is okay more mm -hmm. people in that chat scene that visibility is fine more communication on what is happening and the why i think the biggest thing is always explaining the why to people it's really easy to just be like okay i don't get it but here's the why to the decision that we're we're coming to um is super important and then i think it just comes down to communication over communicating and you know involving people that Maybe they're on the fence of if you should include them, but it never hurts to have some, some more eyes on it than maybe you, you thought or the other people think. It's like, why is that person included? And it's like, well, they might, hey, maybe they can pass something down to their teams or to the sales reps that um, you know you might not think about. And so I think those are two, two kind of tips to stakeholders is over-communicate and more, more clever rather than, more. rather than doing unilateral negotiations with each one and then trying to stitch Correct. it together. Uh, well, yep. so that's interesting. So would you start with that high level of group collaboration or would you, do you go straight into that or would you, or do you do a little bit of like reconnaissance before you frame it up and then go group? on it. Like, oh, well, for sure. Reconnaissance. So yeah, I will go meet with them. And then, you know, and then I start to bring them together and it's like, Hey, the, this and this need to align better. Um, and you start pairing those people or those key stakeholders together. Um, it doesn't always have to be in one large group, but you start pairing them together with the groups that, you know, need support or need to understand. Um, I think too, it, it's always good to, you know, bother your sales reps with the, the little details that are going on in the company. Um, a lot of times people say, don't, you know, just let them sell, like don't include them. But sometimes I think they need to know, you know, the nuts and bolts of what happened behind a company. That is a really cool approach. Yeah. Um, not going to name names. Um, but there's, but, but there's sometimes it's like, well, just make it happen. You know, it's just like the, just make it happen. And it is in a really nice way helpful for them to see all of the decisions that have to be made to make that thing, that button show up 
you know, in your point of sale system. Right. Yeah. And then if they can see that they're like, oh, okay. So this wasn't just like a really easy thing. Like this is, this is harder than I thought to do that one. Yeah. Thing. yeah. And I think, so, it, so you're you know, saying, you so put, put the reps on there, put the reps on there sometimes, put, put yeah. a couple of key reps or, or key performers on there. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, sometimes, or, or, you know, put your VP of sales in your dev meeting every once in a while. And then he'll be like, oh, there are a lot of moving parts that go behind this, or, you know, put your VP, your regional managers on a thread with, you know, finance to say, Hey, here's kind of what hoops we're jumping through right now. And the constraints we're hitting and everyone will get a little bit of like understanding if they just can hear and, and everyone has problems, right? Sales isn't the only mm -hmm. one that has problems. Um, and so hearing sometimes those other problems, obviously not, you don't have to do it like super frequently, but every once in a while, it kind of opens their eyes and softens, you know, softens everyone. Yeah. It's also like a trust thing, right? Because it's not you being the communication bottleneck, you know, for all of these conversations. And did they really say that? And everything. it's just, no, it's just really the conversation. This is, you are really talking to the head of engineering over here, you know, yep. um, not whatever you decided to tell, you know what I mean? Like, it's just the actual conversation with the real people. Yeah. Uh, that's cool. What do you think is changing fastest when it comes to sales ops for companies like, you know, with a direct to home, you know, move, movement or model? What do you think is changing? Um, I think technology, right? We're Everyone's getting better at building their technology stacks, um, which is great. And I think it's fun. Um, but I think technology is changing. And then I think, um, recruiting, uh, like how we recruit, who we recruit, um, that has taken a big shift, I think, in the door-to-door -door world. Um, it's no longer like the same typical model of like, we're really trying to change up, you know, that recruiting process and where we get recruits and how we get recruits. So I think those are the two biggest things that are, are changing. Let's go into recruiting a little bit. So do you think recruiting is... Um... How do you think it's changing? I've got some things I've seen where there's um, bifurcation, there's there's separation of different channels of recruiting, um, you know, where you're, you've got, let's say in the solar, there's setter closer model, and they're making the setters like ready to start giving utility bills like immediately, right? And you've got that recruiter going on, and then you've got, okay, we'll just do like closer model over here, we'll recruit, we'll recruit dealers faster um, and get them on board. Um, What's changing the fastest around recruiting like uh, in your mind? I think what I see changing the most is that like there is no typical you need this type of person that can either be a setter or a closer or a door knocker. It's like mm -hmm. anyone can go knock doors. Mm -hmm. um, and I think there used to be this stereotypic that they had to be, you know, young college kids that yeah. th those were the only people that we could recruit. Um, and I think we're finding a shift where it's like, no, we can go recruit somebody that's, you know, uh, maybe a little bit older later in career, or, you know, I've seen people that have grandkids that are knocking. And so, um, I love the shift. I think that it's been a good one. Um, but really finding out like who they are, what is going to be their, like, what, what's going to be, make them successful and putting them in the right, um, role based off of, you know, getting to know them and not just having to plug and play and say, this person can only do this. So we're going to put them in that role. It's like really finding out, you know, where they best fit in the org is super important, I think as well. Do you see, uh, do you see this was kind of like psychographic recruiting, meaning like 
the recruiting is around like, well, what do you want out of it? Versus like, this is the only way, this is the way, this is the only type of recruit we want heavy, you know, we want ag aggressive, you know, amped up you know, people to, to sell. But you're saying now, no, 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 maybe, maybe you're coming in because you want to, uh, you know, just improve your resume because you're young. Maybe you're coming in because you want to make a little part-time, you know, part-time pay. And so you're trying to meet them where, is it more of meeting them where they're at? Yeah. To plug them in the right spot? Yeah, for sure. That's cool. What, what technologies are you excited about? What, uh, what's something that you've seen that was like, whoa, this is, this is cool. I'm looking forward to using more of this type of thing. Um, I think based any AI, right. Any, any interaction that you can do via video and you remove some human elements, right? Like, so like a welcome call, if you're doing a welcome call with a customer, if you can, you know, integrate that with a, a software that's AI and you're not having to have a human take that phone call, it's a lot better experience for your sales reps, right? You don't have to call and talk to a human and everyone does the welcome call differently. Um, that kind of stuff really excites me because it streamlines the process. It makes it feel elevated for a customer, um, but still provides in a solution for exactly what you need. Um, so any of those softwares where they're, they're removing kind of the human aspect of a call center um, are super fun for me right now. Um, anything Would, to gamify. Like that kind of bring back the, make it so there's less, less friction for the rep to support yep. the customer so they can maybe focus a little bit more on more sales and maybe a little bit less support. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. For sure. C creating a streamlined, you know, process to get the sale to the finish line um, is always, you know, kind of awesome for sales reps. So they can, you know, make it feel elevated and they, it kind of tells your company that you're a little bit more uh, achieved than that's always a win for sales reps. And so, um, nice. So would that fall under sales enablement? Would you describe that as a sales enablement tool? Sales enablement, yep. Yeah. What other, any other technologies? We can go move on, but I was just curious if you have any other uh, uh, technologies you, yeah. you, you are interested I in. I think any technologies around gamifying your sales reps is mm -hmm. a win. So, um, right, human nature is that we're competitive. We, uh -huh. um, which is great. Uh, and so any of this, you know, I, I want to challenge you head to head competition, oh, cool. or team versus team competition, like, hey, I'm going to challenge you that I'm going to outsell you on Saturday. Um, I love so like softwares that do that and building things to, to drive competition, healthy competition, obviously, mm -hmm. but um, I think motivating sales reps is super important. Incentivizing mm -hmm. and gamifying is super important to any sales org. And so putting any technologies towards that is super high on my list. Cool. All right. What's the last question? What is the hardest thing about your role? Oh, that's a great question. Um, the hardest thing about my role is probably, um, oh man, that's a great question. I think the hardest thing for my role is that in any sales operations, you're going to span the longest hours and you're going to talk to the most people. So you're going to have your angry sales reps. You're going to have, you know, finance is always bothered with you. You know, your chief revenue is always like pushing for more revenue. Um, and so you're kind of, you, sometimes it can, in sales ops, you can feel like everyone's at, like, everyone's mad at you. Um, but you, I kind of look at it instead of, 
you know, and I have really thick skin, so it's taken a few years, uh, 16 to be exact, of, you know, I have to think of it as like, I'm the glue. They're not mad. They're just coming to you and, and venting. And so I think every, you know, everyone complains about sales. Um, And so you kind of have to play this Switzerland mode of like your loyalty lies with sales, but you also have to keep everyone at corporate or in operations happy. And so I think that's the hardest thing of, of trying to play that Switzerland, um, like I hear you, but also sales brings us revenue. So we kind of do what they say. Um, and there's that fine line of where you can push those bounds. And then you just kind of have to be a patient listener. That is so good. I love, it's kind of like a, if you never had anybody complain about like a product, like a software product, they never tell you anything about it. Do they really care? Because they only complain if they want to have it improved. So it's like right. in, before you're married, you know, we don't complain, right? We try to avoid the complaints. Once you're married, you're like, I'm committed to you. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to complain to you because we we're committed. So I want to make sure that we change this because I'm committed to you and I want to live with you, right? So it's kind of like that, right? Like if, if they're not, if people are coming to you and telling you, and telling you the, the challenges and the problems that they're having in their roles, and that kind of means they think of you as the person that can solve them, you know, help me solve them. And if they're not coming to you, then you have problem, more of a problem. For sure. And I think, yeah, that, that negativity can be sometimes really hard in sales operations. Like you're always getting the negative, you're always getting the bad, you're always getting the ugly, mm-hmm. you're always getting the broken, or this isn't working. Um, and so I think just trying to stay positive and, you know, fix things here and there is um, sometimes hard. I feel like the world's against you. It's almost uh, like an availability bias, right? You only get to see the stuff that, that's broke. Like, is this broke? Yeah. Um, right. Because if it's working great and it's a good experience, they're never calling to say, Hey, that was amazing. Um, they're just going on with their day and they're just glad that it's, it's better. And so usually you're just getting the the good, you're never getting the good, you're getting the bad and ugly. And sometimes that can be daunting. Yeah. We, I mean, back to the, uh, I know I'm harping on this, but back to this, like demonstrating contribution. Um, maybe it's just for yourself. Maybe it's just writing down the wins and just reminding yourself of the wins. Cause if you're knocking down a bunch of steep stuff all the time, um, I know I've done that. Like, look, like I'm going to, I feel like I'm just knocking down a bunch of bugs and, you know, early on just knocking down bugs in, in software. I'll just keep a list of this stuff and then I can come back and look at it and say, at least, you know, I'm not getting a lot of accolades, but at least I could look at these things and know that these were done. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Oh, for sure. I always had like a whiteboard in my office and I would always write, you know, the things I was working on were obviously up there, but other things that we had accomplished that month or, you know, that quarter, I always kept them up. Um, so every time somebody would come in, I'd be like, I mean, yeah, there's still a lot wrong, but look at all of those things that we've like tackled. Like, <laughs> um, like we haven't completely sucked, you know, um, good reminder uh, is always good. So that's good. Just keep reminding yourself of, of all of the progress, even, you know, yeah. Really Another thought I had is um, something that's been super successful for, for me in my career is just uh-huh. um, being really intentional. Like I follow a same routine every day, um, get up at the same time. I do the same thing. Mm. Um, you know, I just putting a routine and structure to your day can really help grow you and grow you in your career. Um, and so whatever that might look like for you, for me, it's, I get up, you know, I have breakfast, 
and I text everybody that I know that's it's a birthday. So I'm really oh, known cool. for birthday shout outs. And so whatever your routine is, get into it um, and it'll help you in your career. Um, you know, reading those books or those self-help books, like set some goals and then stick to that structure because it will really, um, really help you, I think. Ground back to the things you're going to do every day rather than getting swayed by by the things that are coming at you all the time. Yeah. That's so good. Lacey, thank you so much for being on the show. Um, yeah, thank really you appreciate, for having me. Really appreciate you being on and I look forward to the next time we can talk. Oh, 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 oh,